Good morning. So the way it normally works is there's a certain degree of communication between the minister and the music team and uh, the sister Mary who prepares the bulletin. This week she was in Alaska, so she couldn't do that. And I, for some reason, I did not equate to email Dave, <laughs> and I, I don't think I have Ethan's email address, so I was unable to provide them with my text. But I pray. Every time I get up to minister, every time I'm scheduled to minister, I pray, God, give me a message for everyone who's going to be there. Lord, I want the message to be relevant. I want the message to be timely. I want the message to be your word, your spirit, your communication to us, not mine. That's my prayer. And I'm honest with you, before I came here, I'd never been in a, a church service that required that. We need your text. We need a title. We need it for the bulletin. We need it for the music team. I always just rely on the Holy Spirit unifying it. And in a way that serves as confirmation for me. I, I heard rightly. I understood rightly, at least to the degree that I'm able. Today's one of those days, thanks be to God. I thought Brother Dave was going to preach my message. Because our text is, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. So if you'll turn to Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, we will delve into the word of God. Isn't it a beautiful day? I don't, I don't know. Isn't there a wonderful spirit here today? Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that your presence is manifest already. I thank you, Lord, that you have made it aware to us that you know where we are. You know what we need. And you are present to provide those things, Lord, to be that which we need. Like the song that we sang, you are the breath in our lungs. So we offer that breath back to you in praise. I pray your Holy Spirit come and preach to us today. Deliver this word, O oh Lord. Let it go out and perform all your will. Let it not return void. Give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts to respond. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. My Bible has some very direct section headings. And at the beginning of chapter 2, it simply says, Be like Christ. That's my sermon today. We are to be like Jesus. Here we read that Paul is exhorting the Philippians to be like Jesus. And when I say Philippians, I mean, as Paul says in his greeting in chapter 1, 
Chapter 1, verse 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Paul is laying out this charge to all who are in Christ. All who are Christians be like Jesus. Notice he included what is called here overseers and deacons. Other Bible versions may say bishops and ministers, maybe even pastors and elders. What Paul is saying is there is no excluded caste here. All who profess Christ as Savior must at some point and to a great degree live and act in such a way as to exhibit having the same attitude as Jesus. I noticed when we were singing all the lovely songs, thank you worship team, was about worship. Worship is a posture. It's not just that we sing Worship is a posture, and that posture is we humble ourselves before God. We recognize him as God. And it's interesting that attitude is also related to posture. Philippians 2.5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. The King James reads, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And the ESV says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What exactly does this mean? Well, to start the words, have this attitude, let this mind, have this mind, from the aforementioned versions, are all the same Greek word, phroneho, a verb. It's something that denotes action, doing. The root word is friend, meaning the midriff or diaphragm. That's why in some of the older versions we hear, my bowels are moved for you. But it's the diaphragm and the parts around the heart. The Greek is referencing the heart, just as in all scripture, being metaphor for representing the entirety of man, the intellect, the emotion, the will. Phroneo means to have understanding, to be wise, and to care. So if we combine that word with its root word, it is a way of thinking and responding, influencing both emotion and intellect. At the same time, both visceral and cognitive. It's equally from the heart and the mind. This is what Paul is referring to when he says, have the attitude of Christ. It is the entirety of who we are that's changing. And I want you to realize that this word is used in the letter to the Philippians 10 times. And it refers to thinking and caring and unity of heart individually and corporately. Whenever we take on the attitude or the mind of Christ, it affects our entire being. When Paul says, have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus, he is saying this way of thinking is going to affect your entire being. 
It will affect all that you are, all that you do, and how you do it. And not only will it unify you as you, but it will unify the body of believers as the body of Christ. I know there are some people, and I've witnessed it and perhaps even partaken in it of myself, but there are occasions where it's, it's all emotion. But that can only carry you so far. And then on the, the other hand, there are occasions where our, our faith, our worship is entirely intellectual. But again, that can only take you so far. It has to be a unity of the intellect and the heart. And that will carry us all the way. There is no compartmentalization of your faith. We are not Christians only when we come to church. If we are, we're, we're in the wrong. If the only time I declare Jesus as my Lord and Savior is when I put on my best dress and, and I come to church, I'm wrong. If I go to work and I'm an entirely different person, and, I, and you could look at me and say, well, I didn't know that man was a Christian. I've known him for 10 years. There's something wrong. That song we sang, it's your breath. The Lord formed man from clay of the earth, dust of the earth, and then he breathed into him and he became a living spirit. It's his breath in us. When we encounter Christ as our Savior and he then comes and makes his abode in us, we are fundamentally changed. But we have to respond. And that's what Paul is telling us here. Respond. Have this attitude. It's a verb. It's something we have to do. It's an action. We have to have this attitude. Our faith is not an outfit we put on to wear to certain functions and then put it away in the closet for the rest of the time. Again, if that is who you are, I'm going to be bold and say you are not a Christian. It's not a light bulb we turn on and off. All Christians must enter into this way of thinking. Not only must all Christians have the attitude of Christ, it is only Christians that can have this attitude as it is God working in us. Philippians 1.6 For I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He's going to bring it to completion. He's going to bring it to maturity. He's going to bring this work in us to wholeness. This is a work of unifying the body. So what precisely is this attitude then that Paul is referring to? It's, it's, it's wonderful how the Lord works. I mean, in Sunday school, we studied this very thing. This is how we're supposed to study Philippians, let's read, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death 
on a cross. This is the attitude Christ had. He existed in the form of God. From eternity past to eternity future, he was, is, and always will be God. John 17, 1 through 5, these things Jesus spoke, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that the Son may glorify thee. Even as thou gavest him authority over all mankind, that to all whom thou hast given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I glorify thee on the earth, having accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do. And now glorify thou me together with thyself, Father. Here's the point. With the glory which I had with thee before the world was. He existed in the form of God. In Hebrews 1.8, But of the Son, he says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. I want us to get a clear picture of this now. Because sometimes I think passages of Scripture like this is so far beyond our comprehension that we really need to take a moment and consider what's being said. He existed in the form of God, and then he emptied himself. He laid aside all his rank, dignity, station, stature. He left heaven. I just had to counsel my father because my mother recently passed away, and and he's really dealing with depression. And I said, Dad, we know where she is. And I'm pretty certain she wouldn't want to come back. And I don't want to bring her back from that place. But Jesus left heaven. He stepped from outside of time into the confines of time and took on mortality. These acts alone are incomprehensible to my feeble mind. He existed in the form of God. He emptied himself. He humbled himself in obedience. In the garden, he prayed with great vigor, Thy will be done. Isaiah 50, 5 through 7 says, The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting, for the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I am not disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. I know that I shall not be ashamed. I love that passage. He set his face like flint. His will, his intention was fixed. There was no turning back. There was no turning to the left or right. He opened my ear. I don't know how familiar we are with that, but that references his being a slave. In Deuteronomy 15, and you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore I command you this day, and it shall come about if he says to you, I will not go out from you because he loves you and your household since he fares well with you. Then the master shall take an awl and pierce it through his ear into the door, and he shall be your servant forever. That's what Jesus is referring to. He 
existed in the form of God. He emptied himself, and then he was humbled into obedience. He took on the form of a bondservant made in the likeness of man. But it was not a man of high degree. He didn't, as king of heaven, leave heaven and come down here and set himself up as king. He set himself up as a slave. Psalm 22 And we're familiar with it, right? It begins, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's that prophetic cry of anguish heard finally from the lips of Jesus upon the cross as him being in verse 6 in Psalm 22, he's a worm and not a man. A reproach of men and despised of people. And if you can say that, oh yeah, I understand this or I can comprehend this, I don't think you can. I can't. How can we comprehend that God comes down and subjects himself to this? He died, and not just died, but the ignoble death of a criminal on the cross, a cursed thing. Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Why am I belaboring the point? I want us to understand what it means when Paul says, have this attitude. Let this mind be in you. Can we honestly say that if we examine our lives, if we examine our attitudes, if we examine the way we interact with each other and with everyone else, is this the attitude? Not for me. Not all the time. I really want to read Isaiah chapter 53 in its entirety, but for time's sake, I don't think we will. But you go read it. Go read Isaiah chapter 53. And hear what this king of heaven endured. And knew he was going to endure it. That's why Isaiah 53 is there. It's telling us, Years and years and years and eons before it happens. So how did Jesus manifest this attitude? One word, humiliation. And that's a word we don't even like. It's a bad word today, humiliation. Oh, that causes people to do bad, bad things, right? I was so humiliated that this is how I last. No, this is what God did. Humiliation in the Webster's 1828 is the act of humbling. It's a descent from an elevated state or rank to one that is low. It's the act of abasing pride or the state of being reduced to a lowliness of mind, meekness, penitence, and submission. Oh, now we're getting to the meat of it when Paul says, have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. This is what he's talking about. Submit yourself, be lowly in mind, be meek, be penitent. All these things Christ was. And I know you're thinking right now, well, I'm not God. I'm not the prince of heaven. I can't empty myself of any rank or station or dignity that I do not even possess, right? Yeah, you're right. But, We can be like Jesus. We can have this same attitude. 
a partial answer immediately precedes verse 2 in chapter 2. And then we find the remainder of the answer throughout the letter. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we read, If therefore is any encouragement in Christ, is there, if, any, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Be of the same mind. Practice unity of thinking. All that Jesus did was in accord with the will of the Father. Ours should be minds stayed on Jesus. Corporate fellowship, worship, gathering together should all be about Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith. He is the supreme goal, the ultimate end. That's why we gather together. We don't come here to talk about sports. We don't come here to talk about what we did at work the other day. We come here to interact with God. Unity of thinking. Our lives should reflect this. This unity of thinking. Unity amongst ourselves as the body of Christ, but unity with Christ. What is the goal? What is the purpose? What is the reason? Why did he call you? Why then, when he called you, did he not just take you? Maintain the same love. Be united in love towards one another. The Godhead of Father, Son, and Spirit is one of perfect love. Ours should be a testimony and witness of love but most especially a love for those of the house of God. Yeah, we're supposed to love for the lost. We're supposed to reach for the lost, but we're supposed to love the brethren even more. Do we see that? Be united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Be unified in spirit and purpose. The Father sent the Son. The Son sends the Spirit. The Spirit draws men to the Son. A singular purpose. The salvation of those that would be saved. The intention and purpose of the Christians should be clear. The preaching of the gospel. The life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus the Messiah. The only hope to this dying world. This is what it means to have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. We can go through the Gospels and see this. We can read the epistles and hear it echoed. Paul further adds in Philippians chapter 2, 3 and 4, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Let each of you regard one another as more important than himself himself do not merely look out for your own personal interest but also for the interest of others that cuts to the quick and we can see that that's precisely what jesus didn't do he didn't do anything from selfishness he didn't do anything from empty conceit but with humility he humbled himself he and he regarded us more than himself. He regarded the Father, the Father's will, more than his own will. I don't know, but I mean, when I wake up in the morning, 
honestly, I do. I try to thank you, Lord, for waking me up. And, and I begin to meditate on him before I can go have that time of prayer. But the, one of the first things I think is, I'm hungry. Right? Throughout the day, there are various things that it's me. It's me. It's myself. It's me. And if I'm not careful, that becomes the clarion call. That becomes the defining edict. Me, me, me. In this society that we live in, that's what we see most of all. Have yourself a good time. Do good to yourself. Be good to yourself. You know, care for yourself. That's all we hear. That's not what Jesus did. He came and he left heaven. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. And he died a most horrid death in shame. You know, we like to paint our paintings and make our sculptures. And Jesus always has that little loincloth there for modesty's sake. But he was hanging on the cross naked, exposed. We ought to have that same mind, shouldn't we? That no, no matter the degree of embarrassment it might cause me, no matter the degree of discomfort it might bring upon me, I must witness for Christ. Because I love him. Because it's his breath in me, right? But also because I love the person he's sending me to to do the witnessing. The partial answer that we find throughout the rest of the book, the rest of the letter, Philippians 1, 9 through 11, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. That's all we're trying to do here. Understand what the Lord is telling us. Understand the purpose that he's given us. Understand what these words mean so that you may approve the things that are excellent. And in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with all the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is what it's all about. Our love should abound as we grow in knowledge and discernment. Our love should abound even more. And that we would then begin to approve the things are excellent. I tell you my prayer more and more. And I've probably said it before and I'll say it again. That I want his kingdom to come. (laughs) I want his will to be done. Because I weary so much of such a wicked world. I want to approve the things that are excellent. Why? Because there's a most excellent spirit in me. It's him. Philippians 1.27, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. We're getting ready to vote on a new pastor and the vote goes well, it's the Lord's will and he comes. It's not going to be us And the pastor. It's just going to be us. And we're going to strive together. For the gospel. 
Philippians 2, 12 through 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is a work of God that we have this attitude in ourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2, 14, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Precisely where we are. Among whom you appear as lights, in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. What is the point of all this? Well, Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, brethren, join in following my example, and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, whom I'm often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction. See, if you do not have this attitude, this is what you become. Whose God is their appetite and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. Do you not see that if we humble ourselves now and if we take on this attitude, if we allow the Lord to work in us this mind of Christ and we will suffer as he suffered, we will also be glorified as he was glorified. When Jesus humbled himself to the will of the Father, what was the final result? Philippians chapter 2, 8 through 11. Thanks to Brother Dave. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Oh, that our lives could also be lived in such a way as to bring glory to the Father. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit, Lord, which accompanies that word and works in us understanding, works in us maturity, works in us growth, Lord, constantly drawing us so that we might constantly come nearer and nearer to you and be conformed to the image of Christ and not this world. I thank you for the astounding love it all shows, Lord, the love that you have for us. Oh, I praise you and I worship you and I love you. 
Let this word go forth and let it work effectually in our hearts and let it change us and change our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.